0: Welcome to the Real Education Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Bowles, and on this show I interview remarkable people who think way outside the box in education. To listen to more episodes, learn more about my guests, or become a patron of this ad and sponsor free show, visit blakebowles.com slash podcast. You can also email me at yours truly at blakebowles.com. Now, onto the show. My guest today is Sophia Pink, a 12th grader at Washington International School in Washington, DC. Sophia, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Blake, thanks so much for having me on the podcast.
0: Let's start with uh, it's a story that I really cherish about how you and I connected before we ever met. And you were a ninth grader who felt frustrated by school and you wanted to do something about it. and if I remember correctly, one of my books helped nudge you in the right direction. so tell us that story.
1: Yeah, so as you just said, in ninth grade, I was pretty frustrated. Um, I spent my days in school and my evenings doing homework, and I didn't have a lot of time to focus on projects. Uh, at the time, I was really into making short films and just doing other kind of random projects. Um, so I didn't have time to focus on those things that I was really excited about. And I had to I had to kind of cram working on these things. Into weekends and after school. Uh, so I couldn't really do as good of a job on them as I wanted to. Um, I, I liked school and I liked learning new things. Um, but I had spent a decade or over a decade in class- classrooms. Uh, so I wanted to take a year off. Uh, I decided to take my 10th grade year and leave traditional school and design an education of my own.
0: And did uh, you read my book, College Without High School. Yeah, and, and that,
1: um, <laughs> yeah, and that was showed me that um, that there were other people doing this and doing this more than just a year. Basically, leaving high school um, as a whole, and it made it more kind of took it from sort of just sort of a a vague idea to me thinking that I could I can really do this. This is a real possibility.
0: And if I remember correctly, your dad said that you came up. To your mom and himself, and said that you declared that you wanted to unschool tenth grade.
1: Yeah, yeah. I um, I created, I wrote a proposal, and I sat my parents down for a meeting and showed them my ideas and what I planned to do, and asked them if it was okay to take a to take take tenth grade uh, and do something a little bit different with it.
0: And they said yes.
1: Yeah, surprisingly, they said yes. <laughs>
0: what What were you expecting?
1: Um. I wasn't really sure. Um, I, I thought my parents would, I, I hoped my parents would say yes, because um, they're a little bit more open about these kind of new and different things. But I really had no idea what to expect.
0: How did you fill your time in your newly liberated 10th grade year?
1: Yeah, so um, as sort of a a basis. I took online courses to keep up with the academics because my plan was to go back to school in 11th grade. And again, like I liked learning and didn't want to just cut that off altogether. So I took, um, math, English, and chemistry, um, online through online courses through Johns Hopkins university. And then I took a few other, um, massive open online courses to keep up with the a- academics, uh, to make sure I was keeping with that. But then I had all this extra time to work on really exciting, cool projects. Um, so as I said before, as inter- I've been interested in making short films. So I decided to use this opportunity to take my filmmaking skills to a new level and work on a bigger project. So I created a short documentary film about this cool man in D.C. who... Um, who noticed that commuters coming to the city on Monday mornings look tired and depressed and glum. Uh, so he uh, created a sign that said, honk if you love someone, and held it in front of traffic uh, to commuters driving into Washington DC on Monday mornings. And uh, he got a huge reaction and um, he, it spread into this kind of bigger movement where he and a bunch of friends have uh made have uh hold up tons of different signs that say honky you love someone smile have a great day and it really brightens up uh monday mornings for many people driving into the city so when he was just starting this project i saw like a little article um about him in a newspaper and so i emailed him to see if i could come visit and then once i saw him holding signs and how this super simple project had a huge effect then i uh Decided to that I had to make a movie about this guy, Um, so I on Monday mornings instead of sitting at a desk in a classroom, I stood on the Washington Mall with my tripod and camera, uh, filming this guy and conducting interviews with him and the other people on the team. So I was able to really put tons of time into this cool project and um, learn kind of in a different way than I had uh, when when I was in school, and then I did. So that was the project I did during a lot of, I focused on a lot during the fall. And then I did other projects uh, like um, I did a research project for the Google Science Fair. I worked on a mobile app and I just bounced around from doing one project and sort of filmmaking to science. And I got the chance to explore all these different areas and try all these new things that I had never gotten the chance to before.
0: How much of this path did you design yourself, and how much uh, mentorship or help did you have from adults or peers?
1: Um, I did a lot of designing things myself, and then um, I don't know redesigning them or stuff when they <laughs> and things like that when they didn't work. Um, trial and error. Uh, yeah, lots of lots of trial and error. Um, but yeah, it was it was a, it was mostly myself. I kind of used, I guess. I figured out what online courses I had to take, and so even though that, I guess those were more, uh, I don't know, set as in terms in terms of like what I had to do to complete the course. But then for a lot of the project I worked worked on, um, I chose the project. But there were lots of uh, false starts and dead ends. Um, but you know, I learned from those and eventually made it and created something cool in the end.
0: And what label did you give yourself during this time? Did you call yourself a homeschooler, or unschooler, or self-directed learner? Did you, did you just throw it all out the window and just tell people what you were doing when they yeah. asked why aren't you in yeah, school? So uh,
1: for a while I wasn't really sure what to call it and I, and I ended up kind of telling the full story to uh, all of these people. Uh, but then over time I started calling it a sabbatical year because um, uh, I don't know, That's kind of sums up what, what it was for me.
0: And sabbatical makes it sound very professional. It
1: makes it sound very professional, a lot better than dropping out
0: of school. (laughs) Even though you had the the clear intention from the beginning of returning for your 11th grade year.
1: Yeah.
0: Got it. Um, Let's talk about the online work that you did. Okay. You said you took those three classes through Mm -hmm. Johns Hopkins, which was through CTY, the Center for Talented Youth. Mm -hmm. And you also took some MOOCs through uh, which organization? Uh, Udacity. Through Udacity, that's uh, Sebastian Thrun's yeah. organization.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, first of all, did you do you feel like you absorbed the same amount of knowledge that you would have if you were in a classroom? Or did you feel like there wasn't uh, an imbalance?
1: Uh, yeah, so I think there was sort of, there's a lot of pros and cons to um, online learning, which I figured out. Uh, through this, uh, the great thing about it is you can work at your own pace. Um, so you can spend a really long time on things you don't understand and need more time on, and work quickly through uh, topics that uh, you do understand. So to that extent, us it, at uh, I don't know at some points it it might be online learning is a little bit easier because you can you can go at your own pace instead of in a classroom where. Um, if, even if you're not learning at the same speed as the rest of the class uh, either faster or slower um, like the class has to keep going at that pace um, and then the it's there's it, it's very flexible in terms of timing and place so I could again um, I could spend Monday mornings you know uh, filming a movie instead of Uh, being in a classroom. I didn't have to be there at a certain time. So in those respects, it was, I I really liked online learning. And let's talk about
0: how this specifically looked for you. Um, Like, did you end up doing all of your online work on certain days of the week and just kind of cramming it in on one or two days and then having the rest of the week free?
1: Um, I actually, it it kind of varied week to week, but I would actually spend like a few hours a day on, or maybe even less. Sometimes I did a lot of my online courses in the fall, and then during the spring, I was had a little bit more free time or time to work on other things. Um, but I ended up working sort of a few hours a day um, on online courses. So, in t- so for math, that was a lot of uh, watching uh, videos of a uh, teacher uh, lecturing, and then trying out math problems. And the cool thing was that the way. Right after you solved a problem, you could plug it in to the computer and it could it will immediately tell you uh, whether you got it right or wrong. So if you you had a lot of uh, feedback on how you were doing.
0: You um, don't have to wait around with something written down on your piece of paper waiting for other people to finish their pieces of paper no, no. To, to see the solution.
1: No, and then you could, like, if, if you did a bunch of questions on a topic and got a lot wrong, you could do another batch. Um, and so... So that was good. So those those are the huge pluses to um, online learning. But I mean, there there were things that I missed. Um, I think the biggest uh, con is n- you're not able to work with a small group of students and have that sort of group work dynamic that uh, is a big part of a lot of classroom learning. Um, mm-hmm. So I took an online chemistry class, and I didn't really like it that much because I did. They had labs. Uh, chemistry labs on the online course, but they weren't very interesting. It was a lot of like dropping Alka-Seltzer tablet into a few cups of water and see what happens, which is somewhat interesting, but you didn't get the experience of working with other people, talking to the teacher about it, doing a little bit more complex labs. So I think the, the big thing missing from online courses or a lot of online courses is the group dynamic, both with the other students in the class and with the teacher.
0: And it's a lot more fun when you create an explosion to share that with someone yes, else. Yeah, and not yeah, just have your, your parents mad at you for <laughs> destroying the kitchen.
1: Yeah, yeah, for messing up everything.
0: <laughs> uh, you mentioned that one of the advantages was the ability to slow down and focus mm-hmm. on something when you needed to. Uh, did you have any... S- Uh, specific subjects that you slowed down and you really spent more time on it than you would have had an opportunity to in the classroom?
1: Uh, Yeah, so I took a writing course. And when I first set out on this, I thought that like an online writing course wouldn't work very well. I could see how it could work for math because you're doing sort of more set problems. But it seemed like writing you need more discussion, and um, I don't know, it'd be harder to do online. But I actually really liked my writing course. It was very simple. The way it worked is every two weeks, there was an assignment of some kind of essay or any kind of um, written work. And then you would submit it, and I got really, really detailed feedback from a teacher, even though I never met him in person. Um, so I was able to spend some more time on these um, essays like I and I got the chance to um, for one of the uh, one of the essays I wrote. I went down and observed the D.C. city council meeting, which I'd never done before, even though I've lived in D.C. my entire life. And that was really interesting. And writing about that um, was something that I wouldn't have gotten to do, um, or I, I might have gotten to do, but it's less likely. I was, L- less likely in in regular school. And I could spend more time on that. And again, like instead of sitting in a classroom on you know a Tuesday at ten a.m., I was watching DC city council members text all throughout their me- their own meeting. Um, <laughs> so that's the great truth eye-opening. that was revealed to you. Yeah, yeah, lots of lots of texting and going on. People council members not really paying attention, starting the meeting forty five minutes late. <laughs> so very, very eye opening. Maybe not in the right way, but. Uh, it doesn't sound that different
0: from school, perhaps.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs>
0: and, and the next time a teacher says, you know, no texting in the classroom, you can say, well, I'm preparing for adult life. I went to the yeah. DC City <laughs> Council meeting and mm-hmm. this is what they're all doing. And by the way, I'm showing up 45 minutes late.
1: Yep, yep. I just hope that, I don't know, the, the Capitol building was, I could see when I was walking back to the Metro. So I just hope that it's a little bit different in there, but who knows? Who knows? Let's hope. Yeah.
0: Uh, so you really you're emphasizing the time-saving aspect of online education to me. And you're saying that it took you just a few hours a day and you mostly worked in the fall semester and, and less so in the spring semester to complete all of the academics that you needed to do to continue on mm-hmm. at Washington International School as a junior and this is a an IB school. This is a competitive academic environment, right?
1: Uh yeah, yeah. I mean I I wasn't taking as many classes as I would have if I was in school for tenth grade, but I was taking enough to be fully prepared for eleventh grade and it worked out surprisingly surprisingly well. Um and I was able to go back in eleventh grade completely prepared.
0: (laughs) Repaired. (laughs) Um, Oh I'm I'm sorry, you said prepared. I thought you said repaired as if there was damage. Maybe both,
1: but yeah, prepared.
0: (laughs) I hope not. Um Great. So you didn't have to take any remedial courses. There was no nightmare scenarios where a teacher or a superintendent said, no, you cannot go on to this course because you didn't take this other thing in 10th grade.
1: Uh, no, I, I mean, part of it is I, I was just really, really lucky that um, my school was super supportive and uh, really helpful um, behind me all the way. So I was really, really lucky um, in that respect.
0: And how much of this luck did you create for yourself? Did you go and speak with teachers or administrators before 10th grade to negotiate this experience, this sabbatical? Yeah,
1: yeah. I went and spoke with the principal of my school, and our uh, principal and vice principal, and I was uh, a little bit worried. I don't know. I, I went in thinking they'd say, oh, this isn't a good idea. You can't do this. If you do this, you won't be able to come back. Um this is, I don't know, like 10th grade is really important. We really need you to be uh, ready for 11th grade. But they were actually surprisingly supportive and intrigued. I think most people who I told when I was uh, telling people about this idea were at first, they were thought their first reaction was like, you can't do that. What? That's not allowed. Um, but then after that first reaction, people were pretty interested and curious. And I don't know, even... Even principal understood why someone would want to leave school for a year.
0: Um, Did you have to have many more meetings after that? Was that just the first one to break the ice? That was the most important.
1: Yeah, that was the most important. And then I kept in touch with him. But um, I was—I don't know. I'm again. I was—I was very lucky that my school is very, very supportive.
0: You mentioned that you found out about the the guy in DC doing honk if you love someone mm-hmm. uh, through the. The Newspaper, yeah, and then you emailed him. Was his mm-hmm. email just there on the byline of the article about him?
1: Or, um, I think not, I did. How did some, you get his email? I think I did some internet research. Um, I don't want to call it internet stalking, uh, but I don't know. I oh, I, I, looked, I don't I think that's him. an
0: unfair term. I, I think you Google stalked him
1: and found some <laughs> and found his email address. And again, he was also, um, I don't know, really welcoming and open to having. A random 16 year old um, film him for a few months.
0: Yeah, how did you pitch him on that? Like, describe the email that you wrote more or less. Oh, gosh,
1: I don't know if I remember, but I mean, I think the first, I I started by emailing him and just saying, um, introducing myself and asking asking him if I could come visit and help hold signs one Monday morning. Um, And then I met him and talked to him there. And then afterwards, I asked him if. He would be willing to be the subject in a short documentary, um, and I don't know. He said yes, and hopefully he doesn't regret it. Um, but <laughs> yeah, he was—he's was really, really nice. I mean, he was just starting the project, also, so um, he—I think he was happy to have the word get out, get out some more.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I just love that you did that and that you took the. The big challenge of emailing a stranger who you want to do something creative with, you broke it down into these little chunks of first just asking if you could show up one Monday and hold signs with him. And then after you built up a little rapport face-to-face, then you made the next step and said, can I interview you? And by the way, it's going to turn into a full-on documentary. And uh, yeah, I think you went about it very smartly. Oh, thanks. Um, Tell us a little bit about the Google Science Fair
1: project that you did. Uh, Yeah, so when I was in school, in high school, I noticed that everybody was always complaining about how tired they were, saying, oh, I'm so tired, I didn't get any sleep last night, I'm exhausted, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it through the day, Uh, so I was wondering if reminding people of fatigue... Or having teenagers think about fatigue, not necessarily being tired themselves, but just think about the idea of being tired and fatigue and being reminded of that, whether that affected their academic skills or their performance on problem-solving tasks. Um, so I uh, did a bunch of research on the topic. It turned out that no one had really done any study to uh, to do this uh, to, or to answer this question and definitely hadn't done a study specifically. Uh, targeted at teenagers, and so I read a bunch of papers uh, related to this. I carefully designed uh, these uh, the questions that I would ask uh, teenagers and and tasks that I would have them do. Um, I I recruited as many people as possible. I uh, and then after I got the data back, I spent hours pouring over spreadsheets and this took months uh, to get to this point. And then I realized my, and then I finally uh, got my results and they were inconclusive. <laughs> uh, so uh, I was, I was a little bit disappointed and pretty bummed because uh, I'd worked really hard on this and um, I was hoping to get some interesting results. But luckily since uh I was my own project, it wasn't like a school lab that I had to submit right away, um, I, I went back to the drawing board, redesigned my questions, uh, sent it out to new participants, and actually uh, came up with some interesting, or found out some interesting things, uh, not, necessi- not exactly what I expected. It turned out that um, reminding teenagers of uh, fatigue didn't really have any effect but reminding them of energy and alertness actually slightly boosted their performance on some problem solving tasks. Oh, um so yeah that interesting. was interesting. And now I uh, I have a better idea of what it's like to be what it's like to be a scientist and do sort of real scientific research. Um that's a little bit more advanced than some labs that you do in school when you have a little a limited amount of time and a lot of times you don't come up with the question yourself. Um
0: mm-hmm.
1: and yeah and I was able to to redo it once it didn't work in the first place,
0: and my memory of taking some science courses and an AP biology class in high school was that i I remember feeling a lot of pressure to get a a positive result mm-hmm. um, and that like that was the goal of science that that somehow that idea got stuck in my head that the the goal is always to have some conclusive a positive result that proves something, but later on when I was studying science in college I realized oh the answer of inconclusive or I don't know or with we're within uh, the margin of error like that's a totally valid and an important answer to get. and so
1: yeah, yeah definitely I learned a lot from getting that answer and um, I mean it turns out after doing more research it's still an issue even with, um, with scientists whoever are, who are doing sort of way more advanced research. Um, people don't really publish results that are inconclusive um which is ends up being a problem because the scientific knowledge base that's out there is is has a huge gap in it. Mhm.
0: Mm-hmm. And can you share with us uh you, you said that if you remind a teenager about energy then they will they will pay more attention and perhaps be less fatigued uh, fatigued in the end. Yeah, yeah. What what sort of intervention or reminder did you test out? I'm curious.
1: Um, so, in this specific study, I had people um, read articles. Um, so my control group was just an article. I think about like astronauts or something. And then fatigue was about um, people being tired. and then the and the the article about energy and alertness was sort of uh, tips for how to be more energetic and how about how sitting up straight uh, increases, sometimes increases uh, people's attention and just, uh, reminding people about just like a lot of information about energy and alertness. Um, so I think just even just thinking about energy and alertness and, um, how to do that, even just thinking about it, even if you don't actually do anything different, um, well, I I don't know, helps people actually be a little bit more, um, or be a little bit more successful on, um, academics and other problem solving activities.
0: And it seems like you're reminding people to do something positive instead of having the sort of nagging voice of of yeah. saying "don't," you know, instead of talking about the negative of fatigue. And it was yeah, very, very interesting research. Uh, have you always been interested in science?
1: Uh, yeah, I think I've always been I've always been interested in how things work and science, and I really enjoyed science classes and when I started taking real science classes in uh, middle school. And so yeah, that I, it was something I for a while I'd wanted to. Um, do a bigger research project. So this 10th grade year was a great opportunity to do that.
0: Talk a little bit about your mobile app. And if I remember correctly, you had some struggles and some failures along that route. Oh, yeah. I'd love to hear how you dealt with those.
1: Uh, yeah. So there's tons of research out there that shows that uh, performing acts of kindness and doing things for other people actually makes us happier. Uh, a lot happier and I mean, obviously also makes the person we help uh, happier. But most of us are pretty busy and have a lot of stuff going on, so we don't really take the t- think to take the time out of our busy days to perform an act of kindness. So I designed a mobile app called Uplifter uh, to solve that problem. And the idea was that um, every day or so, uh, you get a notification on your phone with a suggestion for a simple, easy to do, an act of kindness or an up. So something like uh, hold the door open for someone, give five people a high five today, um, say thank you to someone who is a big part of your life, just small things like that. And then people can uh, form them and then kind of check them off and they can build up kind of a calendar of kindness uh, to see everything they've done. And just just, uh, this this simple action research shown has, is able to uh, improve people's own happiness and make their days a little bit better. So that was, that was the idea. And the thing is, I never uh, made a mobile app before or done any kind of programming or anything. Um, so I, I ended up, um, so I came up with the idea test and then I created a, a beta version using a simple app um, App creator and did a month-long test run with a bunch of participants, and that was really interesting because I never—I don't know—I never done anything with a mobile app, with uh, making apps before, and it was fun to get people to test um, test the app and actually see people using something that I had made. Um, and yeah, I ended up so that was that was really interesting, and uh, I learned a ton from that, and. Um, yeah, I, d- I ended up not continuing it, um, at least right now. Uh, maybe I'll pick it up again later. Um, partly, I think, because I didn't have the right team. Um, I didn't know a lot about programming. I took an intro to programming course online to give myself a little bit, um, a, a little bit better idea of how to do it. Um, but it ended up being a project that I thought I would be able to take on my, uh, take up on my own. But I think to do a really good job on it. I would have needed a a team, which was something important to learn during this year.
0: Did it when you stopped developing the app, I, I assume before the, the final state you sort of thought it would get to, um did that feel like uh did it feel like a failure? Did it feel like you had you had lost uh at you know at your efforts?
1: Um I mean a little bit. Um I was I, I felt somewhat satisfied because I did create a test version, a beta version, and did test that with people. And then I ended up uh, presenting the idea to kind of a panel of, um, uh, of judges at the end. And that went well. Um, but yeah, I mean, whenever I set out on a project, I also very, I don't know, I envision it going very far. And um, it usually doesn't end up at all how I... When I start a project, the final product isn't usually how I see it, but you know, sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't necessarily reach that goal. But I learned a ton with this project, so it was definitely worth the while, even though it's not an app on the App Store right now.
0: <laughs> it's not a top ten app on the App Store. No, <laughs> I guess we'll deal with it for now. Um, Sophia, why uh, were you so sure that you wanted to return to your junior year of school? Uh, when you were uh, embarking upon this sabbatical, and, and did you ever consider doing this for a longer period of time?
1: Um, yeah, so I thought about doing it for a longer period of time, but I wasn't sure. Um, my school is does the International Baccalaureate program, which is an intensive two-year academic program uh, for 11th and 12th grade, where you pick six courses, just six courses, that you're really, really interested in, and you take those courses and learn them in depth for two years. And I really like that approach. Um, It's there again. There is there's some choice to it, and um, you're able to really go in depth and learn a lot. And there there is there are some projects um, that are part of it. Uh, So I really wanted to do that. So that was one goal. But also, um, as I've looked back on this, when I started the tenth grade year, it was kind of because I thought that I really liked making things, and I thought. That making things and learning things at school were at odds. Like it was, it was hard to do both because when I was learning things at school, I wasn't able to make things, and then when I was uh, making things, I wasn't learning schoolwork. So um, it was kind of the conflict between those two that led me to take this this year off. But after doing it, I kind of found that making and learning aren't as at odds as I thought. Um learning things helps helps you make things. Like I ended up taking online courses to help me learn things that I needed to figure out for that I needed to know for projects I'd work on. Like I took a programming course to work on this app. I took a statistics course um, because I wanted to uh know more statistics for this uh Google Science Fair project. Uh so learning definitely helps you make and making helps you learn. So um, I'm, I mean, I'm still trying to figure it all out. But when I started 11th grade and now as I'm um, about to graduate from high school, I'm still figuring out that, that harmony, that balance between um, making things and learning things. It sounds
0: to me like what you've really prioritized is choice and having some control over your curriculum and what you're learning. And it sounds like this IB program in 11th and 12th grade does provide a large degree of choice. And as you mentioned, also some project-based learning. Um, Do you feel like if you were going back into an 11th and 12th grade that didn't have as much choice, if you had a much more strictly regimented um, curriculum where you had very little um, options, um, do you feel like you still would have been excited and and motivated to go back into 11th grade?
1: Um... Maybe I mean I think it depends. I think it depends on the program and the situation. But I think a lot of it was that I was I was making the conscious choice to go back to school. I think a lot of people Mm -hmm. go through high school because it's what you have to. People think it's what you have to do, and there are no other options. And it just it's a rule, and there's people have always done this, so there's no other way to do it. Um, But because I was going back. knowing that I had chosen to go back, not just because it's what you have to do, um, I think allowed me to learn a lot more and I went back a little bit fresher. And um, I, I, I think that taking that 10th grade year has helped me a lot in 11th and 12th grade.
0: What was your school experience like before your frustrated 9th grade year? Were you a happy and productively engaged student from young, from kindergarten through 8th grade?
1: Yeah. So um, again, I, I've always liked learning new things and figuring out new things. Um, I and I don't know. I didn't have any big issues uh, while I was in school, but it's more just the fact that I felt like I had been doing it for so long. Like I was, so let's say, I was sixteen years old, and I'd been doing in school. I guess you start kindergarten when you're, you know, six, five, five or six. So for almost all of my life, I'd been in school. And um, I just wanted to take a little bit of time to do something a little bit different and learn things in a new way um, before I spent, you know, the rest of high school in school and a lot of college in school.
0: So it wasn't that you were miserable in school. It's just it. It's like you were in a a good job (laughs) that kept you pretty engaged, but Mm -hmm. you're like, I just got, I gotta have to take a a vacation from this job.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I I liked learning. I liked school. Um, but i just I just needed a little bit of a break, um, a little bit of a breath of fresh air.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about your parents and what role they played in and what role they've played in your education in large, but especially this tenth grade year.
1: Yeah, so I think my parents are very supportive of um, choices I make on my own, and they were super supportive when I decided to. Um, when I proposed doing something different for tenth grade, I think most parents sort of said, "No way, like you have to go to school um, and so I'm lucky to have them here um, helping me i mean available to give advice or help me whenever I need it, but not you know overbearing.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about what your parents do
1: um, yeah my um, my dad writes books about of the way we the way people work and the psychology behind that. And then my mom helps a lot with this family business of his doing all the doing a lot of the administrative side and then um doing a lot of dealing with what comes with having three kids.
0: <laughs> yes. Extensive work. Yeah. Let's talk about the term self-directed learner. Do you feel like that's a term that Apply to you in tenth grade, or applies to you in general, and and do you like that term even?
1: Uh yeah, I like that term. I I, I hope that most people are you know self directed learners, um, and I mean I think it's like we d- we talked about before about um, about you know doing things not just because it's what you think you have to do because but have like a real reason uh, yourself for uh, spending the time. On things you spend your time on, um, so yeah, I like that term. I mean, how about you? Well, what do you think about that term? I think it's the
0: the least of of many evils. I think homeschooling and unschooling are both pretty bad terms, and self-directed learning is like a little bit less bad. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm still holding out for the really good term that that describes describes this type of person that you and I are, are sort of dancing around mm-hmm. this, this very like conscious choice, self-directed, self-motivated type of person. So if you hear of one, please let me know. Okay. Sophia. I will. When you look around high school, do you see peers who are self-directed or do you see peers who are um, doing, going through motions for other reasons?
1: Um, I think both. And I think most of us are kind of a mix of the two. I don't think, I, I think most people have some aspect of, I don't know, self-direction, and I don't think any of us can claim to be 100% self-directed, that we, ne- we you know, never do things for um, other reasons. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a mix. Um, I think there's some parts of, I don't know, high school and especially in the college process that, I don't know, nudges people a little bit more towards doing things, obsessing over doing things to get a good grade or to get into college or that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm sure you know about that. Um, but I don't know. I think, it's, I think it's a mix, and I think there are a lot of people at my school and other people I've met who are really interested in pursuing things that they're excited about and that they want to do. So I don't know. I wish I could give you a clear, straight answer, but I think it's a mix. Well, yeah,
0: and I completely agree with you. And I'll ask a follow-up question. Um, you go to a academically rigorous school in a, it's a private school, correct? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's an independent school. In,
0: yeah, in a big urban area. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, um, you know, all of us are self-directed to some degree and we have our interests and our passions that we would prefer to spend time focusing on. Um, I'm wondering how much the the drive to get into a top college or to get all A's on the report card, um, what do you see right now, um, you know, being at the tail end of your high school career, um, what do you see as like the balance between kids going for the grades and getting into the absolute best colleges they can? And, and then on the other side, doing things out of, out of interest or because they feel self motivated to do it instead of, um, constantly badgered by teachers or parents or guidance counselors. Like what is the balance at at the school you go to at least?
1: Um, I feel like at the school, at my school, I feel like it's, um, is a lot better than a lot of other schools. Um, I'm lucky. But again, there's still the idea that, you know, everybody wants to get good grades. Uh, people, you know, are worried about their college applications and where they're going to get in, um, which makes sense. I mean, I think part of the thing is that grades are really easy to measure. It's really easy to be like, I got an I got a B, not an A, or something like that. Um, and thats it's super clear to measure. It's super clear, like, how to get there and what you have to do to get an A, what you have to do to get a good grade or a good score. It's easy to compare yourself to other people. So it's just really easy to get sucked into that because it's so simple uh, to see and measure. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas other things, um, it's a little bit harder. Like, if you do a project on your own, it's like, how do you, how do you know whether you, you know excelled at it or didn't Um, like it's again when you do a science or like a real science project even if you like I guess fail fail the first time um, is that necessarily bad so I think part of the issue is that uh, grades are super grades and scores are really easy to measure and see so it's easy to compare yourself against those standards whereas other standards are a little bit murkier Um, and so yeah I think that's part of the problem
0: to paraphrase uh, to paraphrase a guest on this podcast Will Richardson mm-hmm. he said what we really care about is uh, resilience and self-motivation and creativity and compassion the problem is we have no good way of measuring yeah. these things got in well very eloquently put sophia um what are your own college plans
1: um yeah so i'm i'm graduating in uh, at the end of may and uh, yeah, I'm going to be heading to to college in the U.S. I um, haven't confirmed for sure exactly which one yet. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to be heading to college um, for four years, and I'm not planning on taking a gap year uh, right now, but I think it's partly because I already did s- a, something a little bit like, or you know, my 10th grade year was a little bit like that. But, um, again, I'm hoping to take the same approach to college or of you know, trying to learn, learn for learning, and finding the balance between learning and making, and you know, not getting obsessed with grades and that kind of stuff.
0: I think you are well suited to go in and make the most of a college experience. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm really excited. Um,
0: are you studying anything? Uh, do you know what you're going to study? What major? You're um, focus on? I'm
1: interested in engineering and design. Um, I really like. Problem solving and creating new things. So I think uh, something engineering related would be would be um, what I what I what I want to do. What I want to do. Yeah.
0: Last question, Sophia. What advice do you have for any high schoolers who might be listening to this and are considering taking a year off, uh, like you did?
1: Yeah. So I think for high schoolers are considering taking a year off or considering taking any time off, I would suggest uh, doing it. I think a lot of people think it's extreme to take <laughs> um, a whole year off, but even if you don't want to take like a whole year or just completely leave school, I think it's, uh, I think it's really useful to take even just like a week or a few days or, you know, a month over the summer to work on something different and a cool project and try something new that might not work out. Um, so I, th- I, would, I would recommend to anybody, especially high schoolers, but even if you're not in high school, taking a little bit of time, um, if you can, to try something different. And I mean, another thing that I think is a big benefit to doing a year off or something like that is you get to have, you know, a real impact, um, in school. I feel like a lot of the t- time you do things, but it doesn't never, nothing ever really leaves the classroom. Like you'll get a good, I don't know, maybe you'll get a good grade and that's good for you, but it doesn't really affect any buddy or anything outside that little bubble. So, um, this is a chance to do things that, um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't have to be huge at all. Um, just has to be real like um, the movie I made again, it's not like a huge you know Oscar winning thing but you know a few people seen it and um, people have uh, around the country uh, in a few different places around the country um, you know held signs in front of their houses or um, a group of teachers held signs um, for students um, as they were coming into school so just I mean I think it's just having having a real impact And getting the chance to do that is a really cool opportunity and um, go for it. Take it.
0: My guest today has been Sophia Pink. Sophia, thank you for being on the show.
1: Uh, Thanks so much for having me.
0: This is The Real Education Podcast. This show is produced with the assistance of Zen Zenith, who also created the music. For more episodes, visit BlakeBowles.com podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon.